Welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. Coming up. The pain, if left untreated, so because I treat it with the oxygen, I rarely let it get to that full pain. Interestingly, the time I remember how bad the pain is, is that first attack. So after two years, it suddenly comes on. I've got the oxygen stored away, you know, because I've almost forgotten I suffer from them. And then I go through that first big attack without the oxygen. And then it reminds me how severe it is. And it is like going through childbirth. It is that painful. I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, the Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media as it would mean so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert Podcast. So there's a saying which goes that you need to teach from your scars, not from your wounds. And I feel that this week's episode, I'm teaching from both scars and wounds. I'm going to be sharing something very, very personal with you, something which I've experienced for the last 20 years. And this episode has two parts to it. The first part, I'm going to be telling a little bit about my story and my experience of something called cluster headaches. And then I am going to be bringing on a very special guest. I'm going to be bringing on Professor Peter Goadsby from the King's College London. He's the director of NIHR Clinical Research and a professor of neurology and his major research interest is the basic mechanisms of the primary headache disorders such as cluster headaches. He's also a trustee of the Organisation for the Understanding of Cluster Headaches which is known as OUCH UK. He's really one of the top people here in the UK who understand about cluster headaches and very much lead the research into it. So it's a super interesting episode for me from both a personal and a professional level. So I want to start just by telling you a little bit about my story. So I'll take you back to the beginning. I was 18 years old. I had just started university and I was getting up early to go to a lecture and I felt the worst pain I had ever felt in my life. And it was just on one side of my head, on my temple area. And of course, straight away, I labelled this as a migraine. I told my friend I couldn't go to lecture. I lay down. I felt incredibly ill, sick. I took some paracetamols. That's all I had at the time. And that was my first experience of a cluster headache. Now, it didn't just happen once. It started to happen every day over a number of weeks. And then I was to learn that this is the way that cluster headaches work. So for the first 10 years of my adult life, I would have this very severe pain every morning in the early hours of the morning, just once a day. And this would last for four weeks. And it would usually be around sort of December time. And then it would come again 
around June time. So interestingly enough, around the 21st of December and then around the 21st of June. And that kept coming. And the pain was incredibly severe. It would also swell up my eye. My eye would water. I would also get a lot of blocking in one nostril and a lot of deferred pain down into the neck and up into the rest of the head as well. And I was to learn that this was something called cluster headaches, a very, very specific and very rare type of headache that only 0.2% of the population gets. Then, 20 years on, for the last 10 years, I don't get them every six months now. I only get them every two years. Now, I get them every two years for once a day, usually, but I am in the middle of about now. And the about now has gone on around six weeks. Usually my bouts are sort of between four and eight weeks, but I'm finding that I don't just get one bout in the early hours of the morning. I can sometimes get up to five or six. Now, as someone who has gone through childbirth, I know how severe pain can get. And this is by no means an exaggeration. The pain, if left untreated, is as bad as going through childbirth. So it's one of the most severe pains that a human being can go through. They are nicknamed suicide headaches, which is used to describe how severe the pain is. And as I said, it's a very rare type of headache because it comes in these very structured and repetitive episodes. What they so far know about cluster headaches is they guess that you are born with it. So it's not an environmental onset, unlike migraines or many, many other type of headaches, particularly tension headaches. It tends to have an environmental onset. So maybe it's stress, maybe it's nutrition, change in temperature. Lots and lots of things can trigger headaches. However, cluster headaches, it seems as though whatever you do throughout your life, whether you're very relaxed, not relaxed, whether you eat certain things, don't eat certain things, they will come in these very regular intervals. Now, it's thought that it's because of your hypothalamus, which is your internal body clock. And there's some level of dysfunction there in the hypothalamus. Now, Professor Goadsby, who I'm bringing on the show in a bit, will explain a little bit more about this from a scientific point of view. But it is incredibly interesting because it really does come in this, this very structured way. Now, as you'll learn when I speak to Professor Goadsby, the only thing that helps me to deal with the pain is breathing in pure oxygen. Now, this sounds very, very severe and it does feel a little bit dramatic, I guess, when three metre high oxygen tanks with a mask are delivered to my house and the pain, which usually wakes me up in the early hours of the morning and is so severe, is only reduced by using this oxygen. So I have to have it by the side of my bed and I'm sometimes using that at the moment four or five times in those early hours of the morning, say between 3am and 9am. It can really vary. I've had I've had bouts where I've started using it at 11 o'clock in the evening. It really does vary, but it's usually once I've fallen asleep and the pain will wake me up. And what is also very different from cluster headaches compared with migraines is you can't sleep or relax. That doesn't help. 
if left untreated, you very much have to move constantly. It, it makes you feel very sort of agitated almost. But because of the oxygen, I am able to reduce the pain and I am able to relax very much into it. Now, why do I think it's reduced from every six months to every two years? Well, as I spoke to Professor Goadsby, he said that this tends to be the way that cluster headache patterns happen. They tend to reduce in their length of time. But then when you do get about, the bout can be longer or more severe. From an intuitive point of view, and as you guys know, I go, I go a lot from my intuition and a lot from my wellness knowledge, both personally and professionally. I do feel for me, a number of techniques really have helped perhaps reduce the amount of time between bouts. But even if that isn't the case, even if that was just the way that happens anyway, I do feel that a range of tools and techniques, particularly complementary therapy, and wellness wise have helped me to feel that mentally I can deal with it because throughout what is very, very severe pain, I do live a fairly normal life. You know, after nine o'clock in the morning, I get up and I carry on as normal and I feel completely fine. And because I've decided to not go down the medication route at all, because I just breathe the pure oxygen, it doesn't impact on my day. I don't feel ill or nauseous or any pain whatsoever throughout the day. So as I mentioned to Professor Goesby, when you'll, you'll hear me talk to him, it does feel in some ways like you're living a little bit of a double life. But going back to the complementary therapy side of things, I mean, it wouldn't be the Face Yoga Expert podcast without me mentioning about face yoga. And for sure, massage of the jaw area, massage of the head, acupressure points, breathing techniques, all of this really helped me with managing pain, really helps me feel mentally and physically able to deal with that pain and then able to stay fairly positive, I guess, for the rest of the day. And from an intuition point of view, I do feel that it has probably reduced the amount of time I get it. So not getting every six months, but rather getting it every two years. So I do feel those those techniques have helped to reduce that. What I also feel, again, very much from an intuition point of view, because we just don't know, the research just isn't there yet to know what a difference complementary therapies do make. I do feel that the, the acupuncture that I have, the Chinese herbs that my acupuncturist prescribes me, seeing a chiropractor, osteopathy, yoga, relaxation techniques, meditation, all of these things, without a doubt, have helped me through these cluster headaches. It's always a strange one for me, to be honest, because I am very much known as the face yoga expert. And what an irony that I go through these very, very severe headaches. But I think it's important to talk about it, not only to help other people, but also to make it very clear that it's nothing that I'm doing wrong. It's not that my stress levels are too high. It's not that I'm eating the wrong things. It's not that I'm living a certain way. It is just something I was born with and there's a dysfunction somewhere in my brain with my hypothalamus most likely and there isn't a huge amount I can do for it. I'm lucky that a GP did prescribe to me the oxygen. The oxygen massively does help and I am lucky that everything I love doing and love sharing when it comes to face yoga, wellness and complementary therapies really do help me through it as well. 
But sometimes I do, to be honest, feel a little bit embarrassed about it because it feels like almost like I should know better. You know, I am the face yoga expert and I am going through this pain. But part of doing this podcast, I guess, is just to be really open and honest about those feelings. And just to say to everyone out there, however much you look after yourself, how much knowledge you have about anything, and in my case, about the face, about the head, about the body, about well-being doesn't mean that you can cure yourself from everything. So I really feel that the best thing to do now is just to get straight into the episode with Professor Goadsby. He knows everything there is to know about cluster headaches. It was really interesting for me to hear everything that he talked about. And also he explains very, very clearly what a cluster headache is, because I am aware that lots of people think that perhaps they are suffering from cluster headaches, but in fact, they are suffering from a different type of headache. But also he really gives information about both the medical and the more natural route, which I go down, and how those therapies and how those medications can really help people. So let's dive in to the rest of the episode with Professor Goadsby. So maybe we could just start by you explaining a little bit about what cluster headaches are. So cluster headache is one of what's described as the primary headache disorders. By that I mean the headache is a manif- is a, is part of the problem. It's not caused by something else. Like if I take a hammer and hit you on the head, you'll get pain in the head or a headache. Or if you have an infection, you you may end up with a headache with the infection. The primary headache disorders are conditions where headache is a, it, it occurs as part of the underlying problem. The most common of the primary headache disorders that people listening might be familiar with that causes the causes issues is migraine and cluster headache is one of these primary headache disorders. Now cluster headache has particular manifestations, particular ways that it that appears. Firstly, the reason it's called cluster headache is because for the majority of patients, perhaps four out of five or a little bit more than that, it comes in so-called clusters. So it will come for six to eight weeks a year and on every day of the week, there'll be between two and three, sometimes up to half a dozen separate attacks of pain that will last perhaps a couple of hours at a time. It will come for that period, that eight-week period every day, and then it will stop and it won't come back again, Won't, uh, for all intents and purposes, won't be an issue for uh, six to even 12 months, and then just like a, the calendar turns over, come back again, so it clusters together. Great. Thank you for explaining that. That's a, a very similar experience to what I've gone through. Mine started when I was um, 18. I'm 38 now. I used to have them every six months, mid-June and then mid-December, once a day, for four weeks and then they would go and then come again six months later. And I had that for about 10 years. And then the last 10 years, I now have them every two years between four to eight weeks and only come in the sort of the early hours of the morning and anything between 
sort of two and four headaches in that morning period and then absolutely fine for the rest of the day and for the most part of the night and then and then they come again and then they stop as quickly as they started so it's it's a very strange rhythm i've always found why do we get it in the, in this very sort of repetitive um very structured rhythm yeah the rhythm that you're describing is the one of the underlying remarkable things about the problem i should comment that your experience that the interval between the bouts or clusters, sometimes people call them bouts, sometimes people call them cluster periods, the interval between them tends to with time get longer while the actual experience of the bout gets longer. That's the that's the natural, uh, that's actually the natural history, the condition illustrated very well. Wow, yeah. So there's two things you, that, are, that happen with regard to the cycling. There's what's happening within the day the so-called circadian cycling, and there's what's happening from year to year, the so-called circannual uh, cycling. So within the year, we think that there's an important component of of the way a part of the brain that's sensitive to the amount of light that there is, ambient uh, light, a fairly old part of the brain because most everything that inhibits the earth is sensitive to this, is involved in the way the attacks are able to start. So there's the this circannual thing that's going on. And then within the day, there are clearly clocks. There's a clock in the body that keeps us uh, cycling, so to speak. And it's also reset by the sun. And I don't know if you've had the experience, but many people have had an experience where if they're, for example, on holidays or taking a break and they just sort of free run, so so to speak, they tend to sleep a little bit longer every day that things just advance uh, a little bit. The reason for that is that the human brain doesn't quite operate on 24 hours. The reason that our that we're, we have a 24-hour clock, so to speak, is because we have a part of the brain that's readjusted by light. Um, and it's, the, it's this interaction between the clock part of the brain. Again, you might have had this experience where you think you, where you go to bed thinking you want to wake at a particular time and five minutes before you you have to get up, you wake up. And yeah. I'm not talking about headache, but you just yeah. wake. Because you, yeah. there's, there's an internal clock, which is a very, which is very again, is very common biological phenomenon for any any species on the planet. So an interaction between light and this internal clock. Now we have a pretty good idea where that clock is, or we know where that clock is. It's in a deep part of the brain called the hypothalamus. And the clock itself is, is has a bit of special name. It's called the suprachiasmatic uh, nucleus. And somewhere in that structure is where we've narrowed down some important things that are going that are going amiss, so to speak, that fundamentally generate this rhythm in cluster headache. Wow. And are we born with it? Is it something that some people just have and other people don't? I mean, in my experience, most illness of, of any kind that I've suffered from in my life, there's usually been some sort of environmental onset. So whether it be stress, um, usually stress, or even can be nutrition related or anything like that, or you when you catch a virus, for example. But with the cluster headaches, it seems 
wherever I am in my life, so whether it's a very quiet, relaxed point in my life, whether it's a much busier point in my life, the cluster headache pattern is still pretty much the same. So, so are we born with it or do we know enough about it to, to be able to answer that question yet? The best view at the moment is that the innate, the tendency, the thing that's at the core of it is something that we're born with, um, if you if we could put it that way. Now, what it is that it's what it is what we're born with. Of course, that would be the that would be a very useful thing to know, and we don't know that. But we think it's a we think it's, we think it is innate. There are some small families where uh, cluster headache uh, runs in the family. Sadly, not sadly, it's not the right, the right word I want to use, but there aren't that many families, and families where it runs would are, uh, would be a wonderful way of actually dissecting out this part of the, the this part of the problem. I think most of us involved in cluster work don't think it's just ha just sort of bad luck. You just didn't toss a bad coin that day, because as you say, it's hard to imagine why a condition that has such a dramatic and distinct biology would be subject to the kind of vagaries of life that you're talking about. And as you say, what overrides this is the timing. An interesting phenomenon is if you want to play around with the timing is to change hemisphere. Wow, from, okay, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what that does is it it, it it changes the it can change the behavior of the attacks. It, your brain catches up with it because – um, you re-regulate where you are on the on the earth and what how because of the the sun exposure, but it's an it's interesting from my perspective to talk to people with cluster headache in the north who have it in the northern hemisphere and then during a cluster period or around a cluster period just before it go to the southern hemisphere and have really the attacks change their behaviour. Typically, they stop for a while um, and they, they then will they'll eventually restart. So it's not a you know, it's not a therapy, and the NHS certainly doesn't offer trips to New Zealand as a <laughs> That'd way forward. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. Um, but it's a, it's a it's again it's to the very fundamental biological nature of the problem. Wow! And do they ever go? Have you ever experienced any patients where they have suffered for decades and then suddenly they go and that's it? Or is it something in your experience that people have pretty much for life? Well, it's good news and bad news. Um, I've seen quite a few patients um, who've had cluster headache quite late in life. But as far as we can see, it doesn't shorten uh, life. What happens is this business of the attack of the bout getting longer and the interbout interval getting longer gets more pronounced. So the longest interbout interval uh, I've seen is somewhat is 18 years. Wow. Into about interval um, in a person who was 96. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I don't think it ever actually stops, but I don't want to, don't want to be negative, but eventually people die. That's just the way it is. And, you know, if you die, if the chap had died when he was 95, people would have said it had stopped. But um, he was of sound mind and contacted me when he was 96 and said, you might like to know that I just had my bout and it was it was 18, 18 years. So I think that the answer is no, it doesn't stop. But the interbout intervals get so long that it doesn't matter. And um, the, the, the chap actually 
pointed out to me that he was very, at some level, he was pleased to have another bout in the sense that he managed to live a, live to you know the late not the late nineties. So you know, it, there swings and roundabouts, you might say. Definitely. And that's a, a great story. And in some ways reassuring, because it would be nice to think that the bouts do get longer. And as I said, I've had the experience of them going from six months to two years, which is is fantastic in itself. And the other thing which has been really life-changing for me is the oxygen therapy. This is something I was introduced to by my GP. I'm trying to think maybe eight years ago, six years ago. It's difficult to remember exactly. But that for me is the best pain relief. So I don't take any medication for it. I just manage it with the oxygen. And it's incredible how when it starts and the pain will always wake me up. It'll always wake me up in the in the very early hours of the morning. And then I can use the oxygen from anything from five to 20 minutes and the pain will completely go. And I'm actually in a bout at the moment. So I'm about week seven. So hopefully I'm coming to the end of the bout. And You say that, but maybe if you had a slightly longer bout this year, you could, uh, you could get yourself out to a three-year break. So it's a kind of, um, it's a little bit of a deal with the devil if you you know and when you're seven weeks into it uh, maybe another couple i mean it's it's very difficult i don't you know most people would give their uh, give a, a limb to just have an attack go away let alone um have the have more bouts uh, have more of a go away you're a bit of a poster child for this it, it seems as you uh, as you say oxygen is a well established treatment of of cluster headache it's it's particular to cluster headache as far as we can see it doesn't help uh, migraine or other types of headache, we're quite should be quite proud of the fact that the the very best systematic study of cluster headache in of oxygen and cluster headache was done in the UK um, in, uh, in the National Health Service and actually drove it, it's the information the data that that drives um, its acceptance uh, you're really right across the uh, across the globe and it is extraordinary that breathing 100% oxygen can abort the attack just as you say with with absolutely no uh, no penalty at all absolutely and if i was to take for example and which which i have tried many a times a combination of paracetamols and ibuprofen that would do almost nothing to take away the pain but the oxygen really does. Um, Something interestingly, which you sort of did talk about is usually I would only get in bouts one cluster headache in a 24 hour period over the the sort of four to eight weeks. This time round, I'm finding I'm getting three or four. So maybe again, that is the rhythm that you're talking about is maybe you will go longer and um, between bouts, but when you have bouts, maybe they last longer or you get more in a 24 hour period. We probably should just describe the actual pain for uh, listeners who haven't had it. I could tell, I could, so, you know, from what I hear is it's typically on one side of the head and it's, most cluster patients will tell you they haven't had an experience of worse pain. You could um, opine on that. It's very, very severe. Uh, Like description I hear would be someone trying to rip your eye out or um, put a drill through the back of your drill through the back of your eye um, and it what's associated it's associated typically with some eye watering or um, redness of the eye or blocking of the nose um, drooping of the eyelids maybe some ear symptoms like the ear is full um, and during the uh, attack you would feel restless or agitated unsettled you certainly wouldn't prefer not to be still you might rock or sit up and, and, and move about. Is that 
close to the mark. That's exactly it for me. So it's always on one side of the head for me in the temple area. And as someone who's experienced childbirth twice, I can say that the pain, if left untreated, so because I treat it with the oxygen, I rarely let it get to that that full pain. Um, interestingly, the time I remember how bad the pain is, is that first attack. So after two years, it suddenly comes on. I've got the oxygen stored away, you know, because I've almost forgotten I suffer from them. And then I go through that first big attack without the oxygen. And then it reminds me how severe it is. And it is like going through childbirth. It is that painful. And the eye swells up, the eye waters, one side of the nose will block. You'll then feel a deferred pain through the rest of the hair. Normally for me, it's one side of the face and, and slightly down the neck area as well. But you're right, unlike something like a migraine, where often if you rest and relax and even sleep, it can help to reduce the pain. The cluster headache, if you're going, un if it's going untreated, so if I'm not used in the oxygen, exactly that. You're incredibly restless. It is almost like going through that that childbirth experience. You know, you are moving and and, and the agitation is is incredibly strong. So I would describe it as probably one of the worst pains that probably a human being could go through. And, and that sounds dramatic, but but I would say that that is that is the case. And and I'm incredibly grateful for the oxygen because it means that I get the first maybe a few minutes of that pain and then it can be managed, which is great. And I know a lot of people do go down the medication route. I mean, for me, that's not something that I felt that I want to do or need to do. But I know for some people that can be a huge lifesaver. Has there been any new research in terms of, of what is the best medication or again, in your experience, what do you feel is the best medication? Yeah, there has been some relevance. I just would, I just would point out because you're very stoical about it, that it's worthwhile people listening to this to just pause for a moment and think to themselves what it would be like to give birth four times a day, every day, for eight weeks. And just to, just to get that in your head, because for, for men, it's a bit of a high watermark of activity. You know, it's one of the things we get to observe and are in awe of. But the, the it's just, it blows my head when someone tells me, you know, when you say what, what you say, it's, 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 it's incredible. In terms of treatments, yeah, I wish oxygen worked for everyone, but it doesn't. About seven out of 10 people would say what you say in terms of it's uh, working, does it work for everybody? And the other side of the oxygen story, of course, is a little bit, it has its practical limitations if you're out and about during the day, say your attack occurs at 2 p.m. in the afternoon while you're scooting about uh, in life, it's not always the most, it's not the most uh, convenient thing. So the other big medical treatment for attacks are a class of drugs called triptans. Um, the, the poster child for that is a drug called sumatriptan. And the, the best way of administering, it's a, you can treat it in two ways, one through a spray in the nose, a nasal spray, which some patients find useful, but not most, I have to say. The mainstay of of medicine treatment for the attack is the uh, sumatriptan uh, injections. Uh, so they're subcutaneous injections. It comes in an auto-injector that uh, allows you to control the pain actually very quickly, just as you uh, describe it. Usually, typically in minutes, it'll start to have its, uh, its, its onset. It's a very, very effective treatment. Many patients with episodic cluster headache will also be interested in ways to shorten 
uh, the bout, and there are various things that can be done, an injection to, uh, around the region of the what's called the greater occipital nerve and some medical treatments that are available to shorten the attack, shorten the bout. That's interesting to know, actually, that only 7 out of 10 patients get relief from the oxygen. So I do feel incredibly blessed that that does help me because the the wonderful thing about the oxygen is then when a bout is finished, so at the moment, by about nine o'clock in the morning, I'm absolutely fine. So other than potentially sleep deprived, if it has gone through quite a part of the night, from nine o'clock onwards, I live a normal life because there's no side effects. I don't feel any sort of drowsiness or nausea or anything that I imagine could come as side effects from medication. I'm then able to live a normal life, which in some ways does feel like you're almost living a double life because you've gone through, as you described, you know, it's almost like going through childbirth four times a night and then carrying on as normal. But I honestly, other than slightly tired, if I have missed out on sleep, which I don't always, sometimes it might come five, six in the morning. I, I can live as normal during the day, um, albeit just trying to take it a little bit gentler than usual. Um, sure. so, you, as you, just, you, just, as you, you just delivered a child four times, so you're entitled to take it just a I tad know. gentle. <laughs> I know, I know. It really is. I mean, it's it does seem crazy. And like I say, it does seem like a, almost like a, a double life, but also although it is, um, missing out on sleep to an extent. I'm also quite pleased in some ways it is in that sort of that nighttime period because I do know that the oxygen will be by the side of me. And because I never have it during the day at all, I know that I've got that as relief there, which is good. And also it doesn't catch you out during the day. And it's interesting that that for me it is triggered uh, nighttime. Is that usually the case for most people? It's, it's sort of nighttime or early hours in the morning? Yeah, this uh, variation during the day is very typical and the if the the majority of people with cluster headache will will have the attacks uh, and have the first of the attacks of the night after they've had their first sleep period so to speak so typically doesn't come on like 10 minutes after you lay down but typically comes on a few hours afterwards as the brain has cycled through some uh, sleep periods very very typical and i have to say i mean I never cease to be amazed by how stoical people with cluster headache are. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, the the you're talking about having such a horrible experience, and and you and but you just get on with it, and it is, it is amazing that for all intents and purposes, people around you would think, well, maybe Danielle's a bit maybe vaguely off a game, but um, there she is turning up, doing everything you're supposed to do on a on a day-to-day basis, you know, functioning in the community. And then at night, um, you're dealing with this dreadful problem and then, and then it stops and your life goes on. I, mean, I'm, I have to say, over the years, I've just never ceased to be impressed by the practical get-on-with-life thing that cluster headache patients have. I just admire you so much, I have to tell you that. Oh, well, that's that's so lovely to hear. Thank you. And something which I was thinking about actually a few days ago, um, linking again to the oxygen, was has there been any studies done on patients of whether their, their blood oxygen levels are actually lower when an attack comes on because I'm so intrigued by how the oxygen can take away pain this severe. But if I was to go through, let's say, childbirth, of course, I use the gas and air during during childbirth, but the pure oxygen wouldn't make a difference then. And once or twice, I think, over the last sort of 20 years, I've had pain for other reason and I've tried the oxygen and it makes no difference whatsoever. I mean, maybe it partially calms you down, but it, but it doesn't take away severe pain. So, 
Do we know why the oxygen makes a difference? And is there some lower level of blood oxygen levels? Yes, and as far as we can tell, no, the oxygen level doesn't drop. And your observations, again, very astute. It's not a general pain thing. It's not like, uh, you know, if you stub your toe, oxygen would be helpful. It's particular to interrupting the mechanisms that are active, uh, that what's going on in the brain during the cluster attack. We think we've got some idea of the part of the brain it has where it's having the effect from the work that we've done. We're a little bit of a way away from understanding precisely what oxygen does is quite unique and very particular to cluster headache. So interesting. And something which I came across today because I was um, on the OUCH web- website, the Cluster Headache um, Association website, yes, and I was looking through... Organisation for Understanding Cluster, cluster headaches. headaches, yeah. OUCH UK. Shall we give them a plug? Yes, um, absolutely. absolutely. Fantastic uh, group of people. I mean, if you've got cluster headache or know anyone who has cluster headache and you want to stay up to date, joining OUCH and staying up to date is like a community service. It's totally the right thing to do. Absolutely. And I think what's really great about their website is they have almost those little sort of quiz you can do to actually understand whether you're going through a cluster headache or a different type of cluster headache. Because I was speaking to, um, I see an acupuncturist and a chiropractor, which all helps me with, with managing the pain. Whether it makes a difference to the pain, I'm not entirely sure, but I think definitely it helps from a well-being point of view from me. And I was chatting to, to both of them about the cluster headaches and they say that they do have patients come in who say they are cluster headache sufferers, but it maybe hasn't been diagnosed as a cluster headache. Or Many people will say they have cluster headaches, but it's not the exact pattern that we know of cluster headaches and it might be a different type of one. So the great thing about that organisation is they do make it very, very clear what a cluster headache is. And then they talk about the, the different types as well, which I thought was good. And something which I found super interesting on there today, which I've never heard of before, was a gamma core device. Would you be able to tell me what that is? So that's a device that stimulates a nerve in the neck called the vagus nerve. So it's a device that's considered to be a a non-invasive, as in not inside the body, um, vagus nerve stimulated. Now, the vagus nerve is connected to structures it's actually interesting it's connected to one of the structures it's connected to within the brain is the part of the brain we think where oxygen works which is sort of starting to the dots start to exactly the dots start to join up and by turning that nerve on you it can be used for to treat the attack and by using it every day it can be used to foreshorten uh, either about or indeed foreshorten attacks it's um it, there are two nice large studies, which one again, which was uh, had a big important part in the U, in the UK, which uh, demonstrate that it works. So um, it's uh, it's available through the um, NHS. So it has to be said the evidence has to be pretty good if the NHS is willing to pay for something. So it's a it's a non medicine way to treat the attacks. That's great. That might be something I will will look into. And do you think that that can be used alongside the oxygen? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that's another nice thing about it. I mean, oxygen is never going to cause you uh, cause you any problem, I'm assuming that no one around you smokes, which is, of course is extraordinarily unhelpful. So that won't cause you a problem. And the vagus nerve stimulator is, again, doesn't have any medicine side to it, so is really very well tolerated. And yes, um, using the two uh, as a strategy. So some people, as you 
probably know, have just their attacks at night and some have them in the day and some lucky souls get some attacks at night and some during the day. Mm, Great. So you could have patients who use oxygen at night and then they might use, for example, gamma core device during the day because it's a small little thing that will fit in a handbag or fit in a purse or fit in your, uh, you know, a little satchel. It's it's uh, it's actually remarkably um, straightforward to to use, and if it, you know if you if someone's listening to this and the their doctor's not familiar with it, d- don't blame them. It's relatively new and um, it's it's a, it's a development. People with cluster headache really need to be seen by neurologists, headache doctors who are familiar with the problem, because it's we didn't touch this, but I'll say it. It's relatively rare. It's probably less than one in a thousand people in the UK. So it's it's you know in an in an average general practice there may be a cup maybe two or three in the practice or four there aren't a whole there aren't um, you know an army of people with the problem so the individual GP not may not be familiar with just about everything that's going on but my experience again as you say is going to the the, the outside is an incredibly good way to get familiar with what's going on. Yeah, I think that's all such helpful information i for years the gps that i saw didn't really know um, how to help me and did send me to, to specialists and i did also have scans i can't remember it's probably 10 years ago now but some level of scan that, that that scanned my brain just to check that there wasn't anything else going on other than the cluster headache because i think it's particularly in those early days of going through it when you go through that severity of pain you have all these horrendous thoughts oh my goodness yep. is it a brain tumour is it something like that which I'm sure you've heard people yes. people concerned about a lot so um, I think do you think when people have had a scan and even if it was sort of a decade ago that's usually fine they're pretty much okay then to say we're all right or would you say that it's important to regularly get checked on a deeper level like that? Once you've got uh, the diagnosis safe if you've Certainly, if you've had one set of uh, imaging, having another one is not going to make a blind bit of difference, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the more important thing is to find someone you can work with, who you can kind of get on with, so to speak, because you're going to work with them for a long period of time to make sure that you, your medicines are, the treatments are optimal. And when new things come along, uh, that they, um, that that you can, you know, talk with them uh, about it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about getting more, more scans. The what you're doing is more is the thing you need to do, which is to keep yourself up to date, so you can be sure that if there are developments, that you can get the benefit of them. Absolutely, I think that's in- incredibly important. And I was lucky. I think after about 10 years or so to go back to the GP and it was a locum GP and she had had specialist training in cluster headaches and knew straight away that oxygen was the the new treatment and and, and something to try and that was as I say that was life-changing so just as a, a, a final question what's sort of your hope for cluster headaches and cluster headache sufferers and the research going forward because things continue to change things continue to develop and, and we learn more and more about them what's your hopes for that my fondest hope is to understand what it is that turns the bout on and turns the bout off because if i understood what turned it on i might be able to stop that if i understood what turns it off i might be able to help that happen and the two things together because there's about Maybe 15% of people with cluster have chronic cluster headache. You've probably heard about mm, that. Yeah. And and they never get a break or they certainly don't get more than a couple of weeks break a year. You know, you imagine 
what it would be like to have what your problem 50 weeks of the year instead of 10 weeks of the year. That's just a whole other holy hell. So if I just understood how how the process got turned off or turned on, I could start to understand how to do something about chronic cluster headache, which is just a whole different level of awful. So um, our research is focused on understanding the brain uh, mechanisms using brain imaging techniques that the um, uh, the, uh, the, King, the King's Clinical Research Facility, it's an NIHR uh, clinical research for so the NHS's research branch, and so we try we try to understand which bits of the brain are involved, and then so understanding which bit of the brain involves gives you the sort of roadmap to understand how to um, how to manipulate that, and then lastly, of course, trying to develop new uh, therapies. There's a new uh, target calcitonin gene-related peptide or CGRP, um, which is a target which is effective in migraine and is effective in cluster headache. There's one study that's been done and, and the um, the regulators in Europe are interested in it want another study. So that there'll be another study in cluster headache using a CGRP blocker, so to speak, these monoclonal antibodies that'll get started in the next uh, three months or so, I suspect, the way things are, are going along. So I, I want to understand how to stop it, but I also want to understand how to offer people with the, the problem better, new and uh, better therapies over time. Absolutely. And and I continue to hope that there will be those answers that you talk about. I mean, for me, complementary therapies have always been something which have helped me hugely. As I mentioned, acupuncture and, and chiropractor, even my own, as you know, what I teach a lot is um, facial massage, acupressure of the face. All of these things have helped me to reduce the pain when I'm going through a bout, but also I think more than anything, they give me the the mental strength to be able to to go through the bouts because I think that's incredibly important. I think the mental health aspect and because I do look after my well-being a lot and that's a huge part of my life, I know that I feel that I've got the the, the mental strength to, to to get through that and know that this too shall pass because it will. I, my heart really goes out to sufferers because I do completely understand that from a mental health point of view, it can be it can be incredibly debilitating. And I mean, they are very sadly nicknamed suicide headaches, aren't they? So um, they're nicknamed that because of the severity. I think, in, as I say, cluster headache people are remarkably stoical. Um, they go through this uh, and come out the other end. And they very rarely walk away from life in uh, in that regard, I think it's a very astute observation you make that the complementary therapies offer you a, a way to get your head in the right place. I, but I have to say, I, I think that uh, the, the you know that when cluster is such a, a thing that you you need these specially targeted cluster therapies like the oxygen to actually to, to really be able to get through an attack or about properly completely agree and if people do want to find out more about how to overcome cluster headaches or whether they are actually a sufferer because I'm aware that some people listening may be going through pain and wondering whether it is actually cluster headache or or another type of headache where would you say the first sort of port of call would be for them? Yeah I think if they've got cluster headache the first port of call is the OUCH website because they'll get really good information around that. And the, and then the next port of call is to get uh, referred to a neurologist and, 
usually neurologists who are who are interested in um, who are interested in headache is a is a good way of going forward to get some sense out of things. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time incredibly. I mean, everything that you shared has been so helpful for me on a personal level, but more than anything, I just hope that it helps people listening to this, um, whether it be they're going through it themselves or they have friends and family that are going through it. And I hope that it raises awareness of what OUCH do as well, because they're an incredibly important organisation. I mean, I've made a donation myself to them today. I really hope that um, other people will do that too. So thank you hugely, Professor Goadsby. I'm so, so grateful for you. Thank you. Take care. How did you guys find that episode? For me, it was wonderful to hear from Professor Goadsby, um, definitely from a personal level, but on a professional level as well. And I'm guessing for you guys, even if this isn't something that you're suffering with, what I do hope is that by me opening up and letting you know a little bit about my story, it just gives you a little bit of comfort that whatever you're going through in life, you're not alone. And I guess something which was slightly disappointing for me to hear from Professor Goadsby is he doesn't really know anybody that has got over cluster headaches. So pretty much the reason why you get cluster headaches is because you're born and pretty much the way that you stop getting cluster headaches is when you die. But I must admit, and call me an optimist, call me crazy, I feel deep within me that one day they will stop for me. I honestly feel that they will. And it'll be interesting to look back in a couple of years, four years, five years, whatever it might be, 10 years, and listen again to this podcast and these words that I'm now talking and see if that is actually true. But I'm putting it out there to you guys and to the universe and saying, I really think that these will go one day. I honestly do. So even if that just is optimism, then I guess that's a good place to be. Lots of love, everyone. Bye bye.